0: Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit. Preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. It's good to see you all here this evening. If you would, turn again to the book of Titus. We'll be in Titus chapter 1 again. And I've enjoyed studying the book of Titus, I think partly because I can read it all through in one sitting. And then I'm able to wrap my head around the whole book pretty quickly there. Uh, Some books, like Romans, take a lot of work to wrap your head around it all. And then, even at that, you can't do it at the same time. So, I've been enjoying the book of Titus, and we're back here again. And let's read our passage here, Titus 1, and we'll be in verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this, Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So once again, we're back in the book of Titus. We're talking, looking once again at the hope of the believer. And if you remember the last times we've been through Titus here, we've been looking at the common faith of a peculiar people. And the believers... We all have and we share that common faith. And there are things in that faith that they're a result of our faith and we all have them in common. And yet they're peculiar to the world. And I have here in my notes here a verse, Ephesians 2 and verse 12. Speaking of hope, it speaks that before Christ and those that are without Christ, there, Ephesians 2.12 says, having no hope and without God in this world. And so for a believer... We have this thing in common, and it is that lively hope, Peter writes of it in 1 Peter chapter 1, a lively hope, and it is something that we have in common, yet it is peculiar to the world. As Ephesians 2.12 says, the world has no hope as they are without God in this world. And so that's why I'd like for us to look at this evening. We were looking at hope's foundation, and that is found in the character of God. Last time we were in this passage and this evening, we're going to be looking at the timeline of hope. Now, it is hope that God has given us, so it's our hope. It's to be our possession. However, it is God's timeline. And so, as we heard from Pastor Henise this morning, God is not hindered by time, space, and matter. Rather, God is outside of all that. He is the creator of time, space, and matter. And so, as we look at this timeline, we're looking outside of the grand scope of our time in this world, outside of the B C and the A D as we think of years in this world. But we're looking at what God did. We're going to start out this timeline at what happened before. Where did our hope begin? Where was the beginning point on our timeline? And you know, often I've thought about this, maybe you've considered this as well. What was God doing before He created the world? What was He doing? I don't I don't know exactly. I definitely don't know everything. But Obviously God was before the world began. He's an everlasting God, an eternal God. He's an unchanging God. And so as we look here this evening, I'd like for us to look at some things that God tells us that He did before the foundation of this world. Some things that God put in place, some things that God was doing. And obviously we know that this is not everything, um, but it's what God has chosen to show us. And so as we begin on our journey through this timeline of hope, I want us to look, we're going to begin at the beginning, as far back at least as what God gives us, and then we're going to continue to the end, that grand conclusion of our hope, because there's a conclusion to that hope. And then we're also going to look at where we fall on the timeline in the middle of those two things. So with God's help, we're going to begin looking at that. And so I'd like for us to begin with this hope that we have. It's something we all have in common and it's peculiar to us. It's a lively hope Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, and it was promised before the world began. So I'd like to give you some verses here, and I'm going to read them to you. John chapter 17, verse 24, this is Jesus Christ speaking. He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Look here, please. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Remember we're looking at what God did before the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. That's speaking of Christ and his work upon the cross, how it was manifested to us in these last times. Revelation verse 13 or chapter 13 verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Another passage, Matthew 25, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love. And then lastly here is we're here in this passage Titus 1 and verse 2 in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And so we have here Paul is writing unto Titus and he's saying, I'm living, I'm serving, I'm ministering in this lively hope, in this glorious expectation. We talked about uh, this before as we looked at the definition of hope there. It is an expectation, a grand expectation, an anticipation, in fact. It's not just a, a, I hope that my football team wins tonight, rather it is something that we are looking forward with great expectation, great anticipation, and if you look there in chapter 2 and verse 13, we see the verse looking for that blessed hope. It's something that we are to live day by day looking for that blessed hope. And on our timeline here, as we look at hope's timeline, where it began, we find that our hope began before the foundations of the world. 1 Peter 1.20 writes about how Christ was foreordained to be slain for the sins of the whole world. He was foreordained before the foundations of the world. In Revelation, we see that he was slain before the foundations of the world. Now, we know that he was actually slain in the Scriptures. We find the passage, the account in the Gospels, how Christ was slain. But yet, all the way back before the foundations of the world, it had been pre-planned, foreordained. It had been established that the plan for salvation was going to be the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, as we find here also in Titus 1-2, it was promised even before the world began. So this hope that we have, that we're living in this glorious hope that we possess, it was promised before the world began. Now, where does that bring us to today? That hope that was promised before the world began, now we find in our passage here, Titus chapter 1. In verse 3, we see this hope today. Promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of our of God, our Savior, and so as we look at on our timeline, we have time past in all eternity before the foundation of the world. We see that God has established our hope, and that hope has always been established in our Lord Jesus Christ in His work upon the cross for us. It was foreordained, but now, where is hope now on our timeline here? How has God chosen to deal with this hope? He has done so through manifesting his word through preaching. This hope that we now hear of, this hope that if you're a believer here today, you possess by faith, this hope, the way it's revealed as it's manifested, that speaks of shedding light upon, revealing, is through the preaching of the word of God. And if you think about this in Jude chapter 1, verse 14, we memorize this passage. The passage says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying behold the lord cometh with 10,000s of his saints this wasn't something that just began being manifested and began being preached at the time of christ's death rather this was this hope was preached even back in the time of enoch he says the lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints but in order for the lord to come with 10,000s of his saints there also must have been the manifestation the preaching of the gospel of there, that there would be a Savior. We see in Second Peter 2 and verse 5, And spare not the old world, but save Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Even back in the time of Noah, there was a man who was a preacher of righteousness. And so the hope that we possess today had God had, in due times, it says, he manifested that hope. He manifested it. First Peter, let's turn over there. We're going to spend some time there. First Peter chapter 1 speaks more of this, this hope, speaks more of the process here of manifesting this hope to humanity, to us. And in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, we read this. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that they have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into." And so we look at the process of this manifestation, the preaching of the gospel. We go back and uh, we have this account of how the prophets were used. And so we see the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of what? Of the grace that should come unto you. They were searching, and we know that as these holy men of God, the Holy Spirit moved upon them, they wrote and they preached and they prophesied. And so we have, think of Isaiah, Think of Micah, we just heard about that on Thursday. Think of Nehemiah, think of Ezekiel, think of Jeremiah. These are the prophets, and as God moved upon them by the Holy Spirit, they were inspired of God, they wrote, they prophesied, and so they were prophesying of the gospel, of the grace that was to come. And so practically, how does that relate to us? Because the scriptures say here that these men, these prophets, they ministered unto us. Not only did they minister in those times, but they ministered unto us. Let's see here. In verse 11, they were searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So these prophets, they were inspired of God, they were moved of God, holy men of God moved... They were prophesying, they were preaching, they were declaring the works of Christ. It said they were seeking and searching what manner of time. They couldn't know the time. God had not revealed to them the time. But yet they knew that one day, we find some people call it the gospel of Isaiah because of the great clarity, the great detail that's given into the, the death and the slaying of the lamb. Of, we're speaking of Jesus Christ here, of course. Isaiah did not know the time. Isaiah could not have pointed to an exact date on the timeline, but God had revealed to him these things, and they prophesied, although they were still searching, although they still did not fully comprehend every minute detail, they were prophesying what God had given them. And so we see there in verse 11, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, speaking of his death, his burial, his resurrection... Here on earth and the glory that should follow. they prophesied of those things which we still have not seen today. I think of the rapture. I think of the second coming of Christ. Of the millennial reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ here on earth. These men, these holy men of God, as they were moved, they prophesied of these things that were to come. Of the sufferings of Christ and of his glorious appearing and the glory that was to come. And in verse 12, unto whom it was revealed... That not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister. And how did they minister unto us? How are these men who are prophesying, how are they ministering unto us? How are they preaching unto us? The second part of verse 12, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. We see that the prophets they prophesied we have them inspired and preserved in the Scriptures today. And as men of God stand forth and preach the Word of God, they are filled with the Holy Spirit as they have come to trust Him by faith. We know that they're given a comforter. Just We all possess the Holy Spirit if you've trusted Christ by faith. It is a gift of God. Romans refers to it as the first fruits of our salvation. And as men stand and preach and declare and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ... They are declaring the message that was revealed in times past to the prophets. And so these prophets, they're ministering unto us. Throughout time, God has used the preaching of the gospel, the preaching to manifest and to declare this hope that was given unto us. It began with Enoch. Enoch was a preacher. It says he preached. We know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And throughout history, we could see it all. Jonah a man who preached repentance to the to the Ninevites. We see John the Baptist, a great preacher. We see Paul and Peter, also great preachers. Christ himself was a preacher. This was God's method of declaring hope. And so as we look at the timeline of hope, God's timeline of hope and the hope that we possess, we see that it began first before the foundations of the world. Then, of course, man was created. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and there was a need for hope, a great need for hope, as man was now at enmity with God without hope because they were without God in this world. They had caused separation through their sin, and now since that time we're all born sinners, separated from God at the time of our birth because of that, in need of a Savior, in need of great hope. And that is why it's a peculiar thing for the believer to possess such hope. And so on our timeline here we have God... In due times, as Titus says, in a due time, in a measure of time, God has begun manifesting this through preaching. And He's done so in times past through the prophets, and He does so today as preachers, as men of God declare and preach the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, presenting and preaching the Word of God, and of course, the Holy Spirit confirming in our hearts the truth of God's Word. And that is how God is manifesting actively through preaching this hope that we can receive today. There's a process that's taking place. I'm going to turn back to Titus. Actually, before I do, I want to make one more note there. At the end of verse 12, it says, which things the angels desire to look into. You know, it's an amazing thing that We have this hope made available to us. It's so amazing that even the angels desire to look into it. Whenever the angels look and they see Christ who died upon the cross, no doubt they were great witnesses of this because Christ says that he could have called 10,000 angels. And as the angels have witnessed the sin of man, as they've witnessed, uh, first off, they'd witnessed the fall of Satan, the temptation in the garden, they'd seen all throughout history as mankind had turned their back upon God as mankind had rejected God, yet God sending his own Son in love, manifesting the love of Christ, 1 John says, manifesting the love of God in that he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross. The angels are looking at this, they see the very Son of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, but then actively slain upon the cross, brutally slain upon the cross, shedding his blood. And then raising again, yet they see the love of Christ. They see the love of God manifested to a people who deserve none of it. And the Bible says that the angels desire to look into it. It intrigues them. It is something they cannot fully comprehend, and they are seeking. They're looking at it, trying to understand. And there's that phrase there, back in Titus, chapter uh, verse number three. But hath in due times. Due time speaks to a measure of time, a length of time that's given. And we are living in that due time that God has given. On this timeline, God has given a due time. It's a measure of time, a season of time that the gospel is to be preached. That this hope that we can possess is being manifested. And you know, that brings us to our second point here. Our hope is obtained through faith. Our hope is obtained through faith. And that there is a due time, speaking of that measure of time, God has given a measure of time on this timeline that this hope can be received. More specifically, God has given you and God has given me a measure of time. And rather, it's quite a specific time, it's quite a unique time that God has given us. You know, your time... Your measure of time to receive this hope and then also to declare this hope is different than mine. And over here, there's someone else sitting on this side of the room, and their measure of time is different than your measure of time. And God has given us each due time. He's set up in the great timeline of God's hope. There is a great measure of time, but he's put each and every one of us here within that timeline. And we have a very brief, yet we have a due time. We have a measure of time that we can receive that hope, and we have a due time that we can declare that hope, we can preach that hope. That's the word there, Caruso, preaching, declaring, proclaiming. And so what are some things that really set the boundaries of that time, of that measure of time that we have? That measure of time that we have to obtain hope, and that measure of time that we have to declare hope that we've been given? Well, really, I guess you could say it begins for us personally and practically when we're born. That's the starting point of our life. But obviously there's that time as we're a child and we do not understand. We haven't matured to the point where we can understand fully the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would note a newborn baby is not able to cognitively understand everything. We know that they're born a sinner, yet God knows the time. Some people refer to it as that age of accountability, but God in his perfect knowledge, God in his holiness, and in his all-knowingness, he knows the beginning of that time. But where do, from that point on, where does our time where does our time begin? Where does our measure go from there? Where does our measure even end? And I would say that there are there are several things that can end that time. There are several things. You've been given a time, a measure, that the gospel, this hope of eternal life, it's manifested to you. And within that time, you must choose what you're going to do with that hope. Let me just look here, let us look here at a couple things that can, that will eventually, that will end that time for us, that will end that brief measure of time. For surely it is brief. James Wright it is, writes, it is as a vapor which quickly vanisheth it away. The first thing I would I have noted here is that that sees in that measure of time, according to Romans chapter one and verse twenty and twenty one, can end as we reject God with hardness of heart. Romans one verse twenty and twenty one says this: For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God; neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Well, note that as long as there is breath and life in somebody, in an individual, as long as their still their soul and their body and their spirit are all together, that they have the ability to repent and to turn to Christ. However, in Romans, it speaks of a time when. Men have received, they've heard of the gospel of Christ, they've seen the goodness of God to the extent that they are without excuse, and yet it says, with foolish hearts, their foolish hearts are darkened. As they reject God, their hearts hearts are hardened. And they choose to harden their heart against God, and that can begin a time of ending in that measure Because as someone hears and receives and the Holy Spirit works upon their heart, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict them of their sins, to work upon them to soften their hearts. Yet they have a choice to be accepting of that or they have a choice to reject that. And as they reject and reject and reject and reject, their foolish hearts become darkened. Rather, God's will is that they would receive of that light and be given more light and receive of that light and be given more light And so on, as that is God's will for us today, even as believers. God gives us light in our life. We respond to that light with obedience, and God gives us more truth. God gives us the next step we must take. But one of the things that can shorten that measure of time is a rejection of God. Someone can reject the working of God in their heart. They can turn their heart from it. They can harden their hearts And the scriptures say their foolish heart was hardened or darkened. Another thing, and this would be something that we all know, you know, they say two things that you can be sure of, that you're going to pay taxes and that you're going to die. And Luke chapter 16, verse 22 and 23, referring to that beggar named Lazarus. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off in Lazarus in his bosom. And here we have an account of two gentlemen. One was a rich man, one was a poor man. That was not why they ended up in their eternal destinations. The beggar did not end up in Abraham's bosom because he was poor. The rich man did not end up in hell because he was rich. Rather, if we would look further into the passage of Luke chapter 16, we find that they had received the truth. It says, you've re- whenever the, the rich man was speaking to Abraham in the story, he he speaks of the fact that, uh, that he had Moses, he had Abraham, he had the truth that was given to him, and yet he rejected it. And he's asking that someone, that they would send Lazarus from the dead to go speak to his brothers. And then Jesus Christ states this in this, in this account. He says, even if, if someone came from the dead, yet they'd refused Moses and they'd rejected the truths that Abraham had given them, that they would not listen to someone who had come from the dead. It was, that is a definitive ending point. When someone dies, when someone perishes without Christ without God, they go to a place that they are separated from God for all eternity, and that ends, definitively ends, that measure, that due time that they had here on this earth. That ends their time. Whether you're a believer and you, you pass away and you go, as the Lord says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that is also, in a very good sense though, in comparison, that is also that ending point. That is the end that you can no longer declare the hope that was given to you. But while you are here during this measure of time, you as well are able to pro- to proclaim, to preach, to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, to declare that hope that has been given you. I think of another thing that that can end. You say, "Well, what if, what if I haven't hardened my heart? What if?" What if I don't die? Well, what's the, what's the th- another thing that could be a hindrance? What is the other ending point of that measure of time? I think of the rapture, and 2 Thessalonians writes of a delusion. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 and 11 says this, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions, that they should believe a lie. I would note that the rapture is another, another time, another ending point. For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's a glorious ending As we will look here soon, it is hope's grand conclusion. It is when hope will conclude. So it is the ending point. The rapture would be the ending point for the believer. Although, and then we find here for the unbeliever who would be left behind, who would not have been caught up together with the Lord in the air, they would be spending a time when they would have been receiving strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And So another thing that could shorten the measure of time available for that individual. For you, perhaps, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior. I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Sometimes I have to say it in my head to find it. We're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and verse 6 as well. Looking at how to obtain this hope. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Let's jump down to verse 6 as well. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me ask you today, on this timeline of hope, this timeline of hope, it began before the foundations of the world. Right now, currently, it's being manifested through preaching. Where is your... we're looking at years Here on this map, we're looking at an eternity past where hope was founded, where our hope began. Eternity past where we cannot measure because it was outside of time, before time even existed. Now we're looking at a measure of time which we can measure, the manifestation of the truth of God through preaching. And we're looking at years, we're looking at expanses of time, but there should be a point on this timeline that is literally a point. Less than a day. And that point on that timeline is going to be different for each and every one of us more than likely. But that point on the timeline is essential to obtaining this hope. And that point is the day that you come to Christ by faith, receiving Him as your personal Savior. My question is, if you were to look at this timeline of hope, is that point of time on that timeline? Maybe you can't name the exact date. But you know that you know the time it happened. God doesn't require us to present the date, the time and a certificate of when we came to Christ. We're grateful that we have some of us have those things. We have the day, we have the time, we have the place, we know all those things. We're grateful for that. God keeps record of for those who perhaps can't remember the exact date or it wasn't written down or something. God keeps track of all that. We don't have to worry about all that. But is there a point on this timeline that belongs to you? Is there a point on this timeline that somewhere on there, you actively took possession of this eternal hope, this lively hope in Jesus Christ? Is there a time? We find in Hebrews now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without faith, there is no substance to this hope. In fact, you cannot possess this hope without faith. This, faith. this hope doesn't even belong to you until you first come to Christ by faith. It doesn't belong to you. That's why it's a peculiarity to the believer. Because until you come to Christ by faith and repentance of your sins, receiving the work that he's done upon the cross, it's not a possession of yours. You're not, up, you're not on this timeline of hope. And faith is the substance. Faith gives substance to our hope. Note in verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Has there been a time on this timeline that by faith you came to God and believed that He is. You came to Christ trusting in the work that God had done, not in your own work. You come to Christ trusting in what He had done and not what you could do. And whenever you come to Christ by faith, trusting in Him as your personal Savior, there is a definitive point in time that you could place on this timeline of hope because it was the day that you begin your possession of this lively hope. It's the day that hope, this true hope, this eternal hope, this lively hope, it is the day that it began. And you are to be an active possessor until the day of hope's conclusion. Do you possess that hope? Do you? You have a short measure of time. You have a short measure of time to receive that hope by faith. It it won't be yours. It isn't yours until you come to Christ by faith. And once you come to Christ by faith, you still have a short measure of time to choose how you're going to steward that hope that you've been given. You have a short time to declare that hope to others, to share that hope with others, to exhibit that hope that you're living to those around you. That is why Titus writes of the believer that they are peculiar. They're different. Because they're living, they're serving, they're ministering a peculiar life living in hope of eternal life, looking for that blessed hope, looking for our eternal life, and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you have a point on this timeline? Is it yours? It's, it's a dot. It is not a line, it's not a great expanse with, with arrows out each other end. It is a dot, it is a point, it is an active time. I don't have the exact date in this Bible. I have it written down somewhere. But my date falls August 2002. And I know the date. I have it written down somewhere. It's just not in my brain right now. But there was a day that I received Christ as my personal Savior by faith, and I have a point on this timeline where I began possessing that hope that is founded and grounded in the character of God. Where's your point? Let's go now to hope's grand conclusion because we have hope. We know that faith is the substance of things hope for. Faith substantiates that hope. Faith gives hope its substance. But hope does have a grand conclusion. Did you know, I'm turning back to Titus here if you'd like to turn with me. Did you know that Hope has an ending. Hope ends one day. And it, at the beginning it may strike us as, oh, that's a, that's a bad thing. But no, rather hope ending is a very essential thing. It's a very necessary thing. Because on God's timeline, the reason there is hope is because that one day we will be with him for eternity. Our faith will be made sight. And as Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, we are looking in expectation for that blessed hope. We're looking for that hope to appear. We're looking for that eternal life that we've been promised and that we're trusting in by faith. We have grand expectation, grand anticipation, and it is a hope because it will one day appear. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, our, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Paul writes in Romans, he gives us a great definition of hope and when hope ends. And in Romans 8, he says this, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. You know, hope ceases to be hope when it becomes sight. That's what Paul is writing here now. He says, what does a, what is a man hoping for if he's actively laying his eyes upon it? What is hope if he actively possesses it, if it's in his hands, if he's holding it, if he's possessing it right now? What is hope? You're not hoping for something that you're holding in your hands. You're not hoping for something that you're seeing presently right now. And so Paul gives us a great definition and great time here. He speaks of the fact that the whole creation groaneth and we ourselves groan with a desire, with an earnestness to see the end, to see that hope given to us, that it will be more than just a hope, that it will be sight. You know, there are a lot of things that we hope for in our lives. And you know, there are a lot of things that we could perhaps hope for in our lives, pray for, strive for, and we might not ever see them. But whenever it comes to the hope that Christ provides, as we have come to Him by faith, we will one day see that hope. We will one day, without a doubt, possess that hope. It will. In Corinthians, we read that we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, we live in hope, yet one day we will live in sight, and that will be the day that we go to be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for all eternity. And that will be hope's grand conclusion. Let's turn back over to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read a little bit more about hope's grand conclusion. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, year and heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, and full of glory, verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What a glorious thing that on the timeline of hope, there will be a day, there will be an actual point in time, just like there was a point in time that I received Christ. There will be a point in time, as verse 9 says, receiving the end of your faith. You know, we strive each and every day as we go through life, as we go through this world, as we go through the temptations of this life, the trials of this world that we live in. And yet we strive to walk by faith and not by sight, as we read in 1 Corinthians. And it's a striving to live by faith, yet one day, one day, we will receive the end of our faith. We will receive that which we've hoped for since the day of our salvation. Look here in verse number 13. What do we do in these trials? What do we do as we walk through this world by faith, as we go through it? He says here in verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and what? And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do you do in times of difficulty and trouble? What do you do in times of temptation and trials? What do you do when you're struggling to walk by faith and not by sight? He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. What's the end? It's that day when hope, the hope that Jesus Christ has manifested, has given us, provided us, and it has been manifested to us through the preaching that God has given through His Holy Spirit. And hope's end is the day that Jesus Christ gloriously returns for the believer and we spend eternity no longer living by faith, no longer living by hope, but actually, in fact, living by sight as we spend an eternity with our Lord and Savior. Seeing what we've hoped for, seeing what we've walked by faith through our whole lives, it's something that we can actively possess. It is hope's grand conclusion Now as hope comes to a grand conclusion, for the believer it's a glorious thing, for the unbeliever it is a very terrible thing. It's a sad day because the scriptures say in Titus that in due times, that means that there's a season of time, it's a measure of time, and at some point a measure runs out. You know, you can pour a measuring cup, maybe a half cup of flour into something, it runs out rather quickly or you can pour gallons out, or you could flip a timer and it's a sand timer and it runs through. And there are many different measures of time. The Bible says that no man knows the measure of time when this hope will be manifested to us, when it will come to a conclusion. We know where it began, but we don't know the time when it will end. The scriptures say in First Peter that the prophets were seeking for those times. They didn't know. They knew it was going to happen. But they didn't know, and yet we will find in our lives that we are given indicators. The Word of God says perilous times will come. Men shall be lovers of darkness rather than light. Their deeds will be evil. Yet we do not know the day, we do not know the point of time when hope will conclude. But it is a fact, undeniable, that one day hope will come to a grand conclusion. let me ask you this as we look at the fact that hope will come to a grand conclusion it'll be a glorious day it will be a wonderful thing that one day as christ comes again to receive us unto himself or we pass from death into life to be absent from our body and present with the lord our hope will be made sight our faith will be made sight and we will be forever with the lord hope's grand conclusion But at this time, during this due season, this due time, this measure that we've been given, what are you doing with the measure you've been given? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I I haven't trusted, I don't have a point of time on hope's timeline where it began, and I began possessing that hope. If that's you today, come to Christ by faith, please. You need to have a point in time on hope's timeline when you can possess Eternal hope, a lively hope, a living hope, an expectation of eternal life. People today without Christ don't live in grand expectation of eternal life. They live in grand fear. They live in grand fear. They try to forget about it. They try to pass it off. They try to ignore the fact. But yet, each and every one of us must die. And so if you do not have a point in time on hope's timeline, come to Christ today For without faith it is impossible to please him. For those of us who have had a point in our life where we came to Christ by faith, how are you spending the rest of that due time? How are you spending the rest of that measure that you've been given? Are you spending it walking in a way that pleases God? Or are you spending it throwing it away, throwing it to the wind in ways that displease and dishonor God? Are you spending it in a way that would continue declaring that hope that you've received, that grand hope, that grand expectation, you have a measure of time, and just like we don't know the hope's grand conclusion, the date on that, just like we don't know that, neither one of us are sure of the end of our measure as well. I wish we were. I wish I could look at my my time and say, okay, you know, I can. this is the time that I have, but well, you know, I think, it's, I think there's a reason God doesn't give us that. Because he wants us to give every bit of that measure in a way that brings glory and honor to him. And so are you giving every bit, every last bit of that measure to the one in whom your hope, that lively hope, is founded? What are you doing with your hope? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.